Well, we're in a series, uh, Living in the Tension, in the book of Romans. And, you know, the goal is not so much to study it verse by verse, but to really uh, open up the text and let the text open up to us new understanding about some of the tensions that we typically like to skirt by. And uh, this morning, there is a big conceptual tension that we need to take a look at. And so we'll take a look at verse 5. If you have your Bibles, open up to chapter 1. Verse 5, yes, we're still in chapter (laughs) 1. So here's the verse. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And when you look at the passage, there's a number of words that are important words for us to dig into And there's some apparent tensions, I think, for probably all of us at one point or another. And they have those two words, grace and obedience. Grace and obedience. And it it almost, when you say them together, it's like, how does that work? Because for a moment you think, okay, I'm saved by amazing grace, right? That's true. But what does obedience look like then? especially in light of what we've been talking about, this idea of holiness. So a man dies and goes to heaven. And Peter meets him at the pearly gates and says, here's how it works. You need a hundred points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was. When you reach a hundred points, you get in. Okay, said the man nervously. (laughs) I was married to the same woman for 50 years and loved her with all my heart. That's wonderful, says Peter. That's worth three points. Three? (laughs) That's what he said. Three points? He said, well, I, I attended church all my life and I supported its ministry. I tithed and I served, even in the nursery. Terrific, says Peter. That's certainly worth a point. What? One point? Golly. How about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic, Peter says. That's good for two more points. Two points, the man cries. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. And Peter said, come on in. <laughs> So if that's the case, and we know it is, it's like, well, then what's this about obedience? What is it that Paul is digging into? And so we understand we can't earn our way to heaven. We get that. But yet there's this call to obedience. There's this idea of holiness. And and we know that, of course, as believers, our lives should look different. Uh, There should be a change, right? I remember when I first became a Christian, everything was new. I was not churched in the least bit. In fact, it was funny. When I became a Christian, I was a head resident at St. Olaf College, and the Lord asked me to, uh, spoke to me. He said, I want you to start a Bible study. This is my second week in walking with the Lord. I was completely clueless. So what I said to the Lord is, I said, I, I can't start a Bible study. I don't, know, I don't know anything about the Bible. In fact, the only thing I know about a Bible is that it's black and that some guy named King James wrote it. That's all I know. 
And everything was new. So every time I opened the Bible, every time I'd read a passage like Heidi read this morning, every time I went to church, every time I heard someone pray, every time I sang a song, it was like so totally, radically new. And I was just like, it, it seemed like in those first months, every Christian meeting that I went to was like Christmas Day, you know, full of adventure, full of surprises, full of joy. And then I started to become versed in the Bible. I started to learn some things. I started to recognize things. And pretty quickly, I started to slide off this track where it wasn't just the awe and the wonder and the goodness of being in the presence of the Lord. I started to get heavier and heavier and heavier because the to-do list that I thought I had to accomplish got bigger and bigger, and bigger, and oh. And I became more aware of my inability than I was aware of the Lord's presence. And so obedience for me was like so troubling. How do you do this? What does this look like, God? And so we want to ask the next question then, what's grace about? Because if if there's a, a call to obedience and there's this part of grace... How does that fit together? What does it look like dynamically? And I think a lot of our confusion happens where we, we start to lose track of what really God is after, in particular with grace. And it's, it's understandable because think about all the ways we use the word grace. When you get ready and you're, you're together with some people and you're out for dinner or you're at your house eating a meal, before you eat you say grace, right? And then sometimes when someone is struggling, a friend, and you're talking and you're concerned, someone in the conversation is likely to say, hey, listen, let's give them a little grace, right? If you've had a long day, everything at work's gone sideways, you're already tired, you're already in a challenge season, you walk in the door, you close the door, and your spouse says to you, how today go? You go, man, I need some grace. And when you walk into a situation and you never would have expected it would have worked out this way, and you're kind of amazed at how God grabbed it and worked it, you walk away and you say, man, that was an act of grace. So what is grace? I feel like Brendan was when he was talking about holiness. It's like, what, what is this thing called grace? We sing about it. We, we pray, we talk about it, we, we try to extend it, we try to receive it. What is grace? And to the Apostle Paul, it's a huge piece of his ministry. The word for grace is found only 68 times in the entire whole Old Testament. In the Gospels, the word grace is used only 13 times. Okay? So if you total that, what do you got? 81 times. Paul uses the word grace 144 times in his letters. He's always opening with grace. He's always closing with grace. He says, it's the grace of God that sustains me. And he keeps talking about if there's anything, if John's the apostle of love, Paul's the apostle of grace. And he says things like this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And the thing that's unique about Paul, when he's talking about grace, it's no longer a thing. 
It is a personal transaction. It's a here and now tense. It's grace now. It's not just something for later like the pearly gates when you're before Peter and he's scoring you on the 100-point scale. It's not that. It's grace now. It's grace for life. It's grace that makes me what I am. It's grace that carries me. So to Paul and his letter writing and his ministry and what he does, what Paul is talking about is not a thing. It's not a substance. It's the person of God. It is this phrase echoing in his mind. This phrase is spoken almost 470 times in the Bible. Fear not. Why? I am with you. That's grace. The great I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm your provider. I'm your shelter. I'm your refuge. I'm your high tower. I'm your strong shield. I am the Lord. I am your creator. I am your sustainer. I am your healer. What do you need? I am with you. That's grace. You see, when our lives are meshed with this sense of God with us, grace is found. When we're walking in a keen awareness that God is leading and guiding and directing and sustaining and holding, when God is over, there's a sense of grace and connecting with grace. So it's this idea that he's with us. He's in us. He's around us. He's above us. He's ahead of us. He's always going on. And the intention of grace working should look a little bit like the picture. I remember when I used to work security when I was in college. And so we, we got to see a lot of concerts and a, a lot of different things. And I was actually the runt of the litter. I was same height, but I was about 210 pounds. Was a weightlifter. But the guys that I worked security with... Um, I wanted to make sure that I was very secure myself. So we could kind of pick the crews. We, we worked in groups of three. And so my right-hand man was a guy whose nickname was Bear. He was 6'8 and 325 pounds. When you go to shake Bear's hand, you would lose your entire arm in his hand. I said, he's with me. My roommate, Rudy, had uh, thighs that measured 35 inches around. He was 6'2", 285 pounds. He was a massive brick of a man. So when I, the runt of the litter, would work security and the crowds would be pushing, I'd have Bear on my right and Rudy on my left. And all was well in the land. There was something about the security and the stability that you're surrounded by that. How much more when the Almighty puts his arm around you and says, come on, I'm with you. Okay, you say. So, lovely, Mark. What, what has it got to do with the verse that we're talking about? What has it got to do with this idea of grace and obedience? What, what is it that Paul is after? Here it is in a nutshell. It's about obeying your trust. You see, when I slid off the rails as a young Christian, I started missing God and his direction and his presence. And I started focusing on this to-do list that I was imagining. Has it ever happened to you? Where all of a sudden your faith becomes an exercise in one long checklist. 
Am I doing this? Am I doing that? I would hear, you should pray an hour a day. Oh, man, I'm not doing that. Okay, pray an hour a day. You should memorize Scripture. Okay, I'm going to memorize Scripture. I'm going to do that. You know, you should be telling someone every day about Jesus. Okay, I'm going to do that. And I was so focused on my checklist. Do you think that brought life? It didn't. It brought exhaustion. It's like, if this is how it is, if this is what my walk is going to look like, I don't know if I can make it. And there's long lists. So let me ask you this morning. Has your faith become a list? Have you become more consumed about what you think you should do or not do? And have you lost sight of there's a God who has his arm around you? Actually, amazingly, God's inside of you. The prophets long to look, Colossians says. It's the hope of glory, Christ in you. He's in you, with you. And so what Paul is after is he says, I don't want you to be so concerned about this law thing. I don't want you so consumed by all that kind of stuff. What I want you to get consumed with is the focus of obeying your trust. Obedience that comes from faith. Well, we can't use the word faith in our culture because it's been destroyed. And what it literally means is to trust, to put your whole life in. Now, if we really seek to live this way, it does create a tension. If we say, I'm not going to do the to-do list, I'm not going to try to earn my way, even though we would say to ourselves, that's not the way, we can slide into that. There's another tension that we'll run into, and it's this idea that, okay, I'm here, and God is calling me here, and what you have is this big gap between what I think I can do, what I'm able to be or say or handle, and there's this huge chasm that I call the grace space. You see, God is always calling us up and out. Peter, get outside the boat. Come on, Mark, walk with me. Trust me because trust is built. It's developed. It needs to be exercised like a muscle. And so he has all kinds of creative ways of creating gaps in your life. Does he not? Are you feeling gaps this morning as you sit here? I am. Sometimes the gaps hit you in ways where I didn't see that coming. Right now, I'm, I, I'm two classes out from finishing this marriage class that I honestly thought was going to be easy. How stupid. <laughs> I'm almost 60 years old. Come on, Spencer, wake up and smell the coffee. It strung me out so badly, so many different ways. I mean, really what I thought I would do is take these three decades of working with couples and really shrink it down into seven weeks and to say, these are probably the seven most important things I could say to you as someone who does marriage counseling and someone who's a pastor. Should be simple. Oh my gosh. Absolutely wrung out trying to condense things. And then when I'm standing here and I'm talking to the class, how many of you are in the class, by the way? This is true confessions of getting real. I feel like, are they getting it? I go home. I don't sleep. I toss and I turn. Because you know what? I think the reason God created Mark Spencer was learned when I was five years old. And I walked out the door 
after my parents had fought and one of them was gone. I didn't know where they were. And I looked up at the sky and I said, why is love so hard? I had no idea then that that was going to set the trajectory of my call. But that's the central piece of my call. And now you talk about risk. I didn't realize he was setting me up. I am putting all the chips of my life up here and saying, here it is. It's all I got. And that feels so incredibly vulnerable and so incredibly scary. What if it doesn't help? What does my life count for then? What if it doesn't work? And the sense of potential failure and risk, and it's like, God, you set me up. And I fell for it. You ever have a friend where you could just pull the same trick on him over and over again? That's how I feel like God's up there going, you know, you'd think that kind of reverse tap on the shoulder, he'd catch on, but we'll keep using it till he does. And there's this gap. It's like, Lord, I'm here and you want me there. And oh, I mean, seriously, I ache for people to learn love. What a different world it would be if we learned to love like Jesus loves. Is this not true? And I ache for it. I can't describe it. It's not me. It's something inside of me. I can't shake it. I try to ignore it. I try to put it out. It doesn't go away. It nags me right here all the time, always there. And it drives me. It's a little bit, I think, how Paul felt about his call to the Gentiles. What makes a man who gets stoned and thrown out the city dust himself off and walk right back into the same mess? Grace. Now here's where it gets important. Because the temptation is, and the thing that I think God is teaching me is, yes, Mark, I get it. You have a passion for this. It's a right passion. It's a good thing. But you can't get to here without me. And so what it really looks like is, God has this God-sized thing. Not just for me. Every single one of you. Every single one. When I was preparing this message and I was praying, I began to get to this place in prayer where a similar ache was rising up in me. Every one of you people here today were created by the Almighty God in a unique one in a bazillion years fashion. There's no one like you. Not a single one. There never will be another one like you. The people that you have in your life, the people that you know, the people that you work with, the people that you encounter, I probably never will. You do. And there's a unique message that God wants to send through you. It's not meant to be scary in that sense. It actually is meant to flow a little bit naturally. But you will feel this gap. Because here's the deal about God. He wants you to learn faith and trust. And there's only one way to do that. That's where it gets hard. So everything that God calls you to is God-sized. And there you are, and you look at, okay, this is what I've got. That's what i got to move? I don't know how that's going to work. And so God comes in there and he says, listen, I'm sending that into your life. That's what I'm calling you to do. And you go, well, God, it's so big. Can you imagine how Paul would have felt? I mean, when you read about his introduction into salvation, 
Ananias tells him, via the Lord, I want you to tell him the things he's going to suffer for me in my name. How many of you would come to Christ if it says, you know what? we got a great deal for you. Sign up here, and you're going to suffer big time. You're not going to have a long line there. But up front, God is saying, this is the call, because I'm sending you to the Gentiles. The Jew of Jews is going to the Gentiles. Problem. I had a good Jewish friend who came to Christ. His family said, we're done with you. You're dead to us. They literally said that. You're dead to us. Done. Not just his immediate family, his whole extended family, all their relations and friends. We're done. This massive call, this thing to go out to the Gentiles, unheard of, by the way, the Gentiles are now going to become heirs of salvation? This is Paul's call. It's massive. Not too long ago, I told you the story about standing on that beach in Florida and God saying, it's time. For what? To forgive your dad. Oh, 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 no. I don't think so. And I told you how God and I went back and forth and walked on that beach, and I presented all my great arguments to God, (laughs) which went nowhere. And then God said to me, after I said, God, I can't do it. He said, I know you can't, but we can. Because what God wants us to become aware of in that moment is that it's my grace that's sufficient. This same Paul who's trying to get rid of whatever it is that's tormenting him physically or spiritually, I'm not sure what it is, but he's got this thorn in his flesh. He keeps crying out to God. It says three times he entreated the Lord. This is Paul. He's an intense dude. God finally just says clear to him, listen, son, my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient. And so what God wants us to do when we're looking at this thing and we go, how can I do that? He corrects it. He says, listen, trust us. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to move through it. That's how we're going to step into this. And the question is, will you obey your trust? Will you? But here's where we get stuck. Here's where I think a lot of Christians falter. We understand that the grace is necessary for salvation. We get started and there's some things that are new. But at some point in time, what happens to us is we get really comfortable in our known zone. I know how to do this. It's our human nature. We settle. But in that known zone, that's not the place where we experience the grace of God in its richness. Yes, God will love you. Yes, he will. That's not the question. God loves you with an everlasting love. But what God asks of you is, trust me. Let's step out. Let's do this together. We're in that Easter season. And Jesus, the God-man, is preparing for that. A task that none of us will ever have to face Thankfully, I mean, it's hard to even imagine. And remember, Jesus is fully God, fully man, but he surrendered his God powers. 
And he's recognizing now where the Father is leading in that God-sized call. And it's definitely outside the known zone. He realizes more and more, I think it probably comes to him in pieces and revelation when he gets up in those early morning prayer times and he's listening and he's realizing, oh, this is where it's culminating. And he goes on that faithful night into the Garden of Gethsemane and he needs grace. Badly. The weight and the pressure, the spiritual atmosphere, the, the tormentors there. It's, it's to a place where he is sweating blood, which physiologically can happen. It's that intense. And he's crushed under the weight of this. As a man, it's too big for him. It feels impossible. And so he groans, Father, can this cup be removed from me? And then he says, but not as I will, as you do. Because it's about us, not me, it's about us. Three times he's bowed low and he's praying. And there's this exchange that's happening. And what's happening is he's preparing himself to leave. He feels the distress, but he knows it's here where he'll encounter grace. And at a certain place, as he does this, he, he senses that Abba's there, Abba's in this. There's no other way. This is the path. This is what he's calling him to. And his arresters come, and he's ready. Because grace is with him. First Peter says that when he's accused and he's reviled, he doesn't accuse Back. He doesn't revile. In fact, he drives some of the accusers crazy because he doesn't respond to their taunts. He doesn't answer their questions, and it makes them mad. How? Grace? And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, to this we're called. Not that we'd have to do that again, but to walk in the way of grace that when God calls us and says, come, step out of that known zone. I want you to follow me here. And you say, Lord, it's too big for me. He goes, I know, but it's not too big for us. Come on, step with me. And so as we get ready to celebrate and remember that great work of grace, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we pursuing Him in the way of grace? In those places where He calls, where we realize that's too big for me, and He goes, yep, but it's not too big for we. So I'd like to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with your heart. It's a private place. Sometimes when we're tired, sometimes when we see a challenge or a call, and it seems so big we stay back. 
But the danger of that is we're not encountering fresh grace where our faith gets a little bored, actually. It gets a little stale. It gets a little routine. In the privacy of your own heart, is that where you are? Because if so, it just may be that the Holy Spirit's talking to you this morning about it's time. That big call, it could be uh, forgiving someone. It could be making a move. I don't know what it is. God does. You do. Feels big. And he's talking to you. By all means, it's a good opportunity and a good day to listen. Lord, we pray that you'd release our hearts from measuring where we go, what we do, how we give, how we are, by what we alone can do. It happens so subtly. Holy Spirit, come and free us from that. As we follow the example of Jesus, as we follow the example of Paul, we follow the example of Peter, help us to hear your call and to step in, trusting in that grace space that you're right there Lifting, sustaining, caring, working, doing. And what I lack, you provide. What I need, you give. Move. We pray in the next few songs in this place that you would liberate our hearts with new measures of faith, the adventure of it, and the confidence in your grace with us. So, Lord, whether it's in the offering that we're giving, whether it's in the offering of ourself, we say, Lord, pour out your grace in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.